good morning, everybody. Uh, it's uh, so fabulous to be here with you, and uh, we're so excited about the uh, just being with you. It's great to see Rose again, and uh, we've kind of worked together a lot over the years, and Kev, of course, uh, and so it's a real blessing to be with here. You know, Junction 10 Church is kind of near to my heart, really, because I've known this church for many years. I've seen the blessing and favor of God resting upon you. But I believe passionately our greatest days are ahead. Amen? Our greatest days are ahead. And God has got a great future uh, for us. You know, I've been a Christian pastor uh, uh, for many, many years, uh, almost 40 years, led churches in North London, uh, North Yorkshire, and uh, Birmingham Christian Center was the last church I was leading. And then for about the last 10 years or so, I've, uh, I've been working with the Elam Church denomination. I've been the principal of their Bible school, and I had a national role of directing training and just uh, supporting them. So that has been fantastic. But about 18 months ago, I really felt God lead me to uh, give that job up, and I'm now the operations director of an IT company. Uh, So I just work in a normal job like most of you do, uh, living out my life as most Christians do in the the real world, if you like. And, uh, you know, that's where Jesus really matters. Is that right? Uh, that we have to make Jesus work. It's one thing for Jesus to be praised and worshipped and lifted high here, but we need God to be lifted high, don't we, on the shop floor, in the boardroom, in the world of commerce and industry and entertainment. So God is, I believe, got His people scattered everywhere. Amen? I was speaking at a Chinese church in uh, in the centre of London just a few months ago, and I, 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 people responded, and uh, I went to this first woman to pray for a young woman, and I just felt media, and I just said to her, "Look, uh, does this mean anything, media?" She said, "I've got an interview with the BBC tomorrow morning." Uh, and I said, well, I believe God's going to give you that job. T- text me when you get it. And sure enough, the, tomorrow, the next day, uh, she had an interview. Remember, no, one other young woman came to my, uh, in my church, and she loved fashion. She just loved fashion. She says, my, my, I said, what's your vision? And she said, my vision is to create beautiful clothes for, for, for people that, that aren't cheap and seductive, but just are beautiful. And she's now working with Vogue magazine in New York. Hallelujah. You see, God wants to place his people everywhere. Uh, if I was to ask many of you, what do you do for Jesus? I think some people say, well, I'm on the Christ Rota. Uh, you know, I, I work in, I, I'm in the band, uh, you know, I, I make coffees, uh, and I want to stop you and say, no, 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 I'm not interested in that, those things. Uh, what do you do for Jesus every day? And I love it when uh, people say, well, I'm a plumber. You know, I, I just make sure I do a good job for the people I work for at a fair price, and I try to be as honest and real as I can. I say hallelujah. Amen. Are you with me? Uh, I'm a carer, you know, I I look after a child that has special needs and I I, I serve them. Do you know, the Bible says, Jesus said this, as much you've done it unto one of these, the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. And I really believe Christians need to see, a lot of churches think like this, you know, every one of us are called to full-time ministry, amen? Everybody is serving Jesus. I love the fact Uh, that Jesus, for most of his life, was a blue-collar worker. 
not a full-time apostle traveling the nations preaching, but for most of his life, 12 through 30 years of age, he just was an itinerant, uh, no, he was a, 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 a local builder uh, looking after people and just caring. And I believe when the church rises up like that and sees that all of us 24-7, wherever he has placed us, has called us into ministry, that uh, a church will change. Amen? Do you see that? Really believe that's true, you know. I, 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 I so often meet Christians who come and ask for prayer and they say, Pastor, I want to go and work, you know, live on a farm with Christians and sing Kumbaya every day. You know, I, I just want to be surrounded by lovely Christians and where it'll just be like heaven on earth. You know, I want to tell you, God has not called us to be like that. He's called us to be in the world. Amen. Uh, and so God has called us. And one of the things we should be doing on Sundays is rejoicing in what God has been doing all week. Amen. S using us to serve and love people. So proud to have my daughter with me today, uh, Grace. Uh, and so just Grace, come and just share a little bit about what you're, you're doing. everyone are you guys all right good it's fantastic to be here my name is grace i'm 23 years old it's just a little bit about myself and um, for the last three years i've been working for an organization called youth for christ is, is anyone in this building ever heard of youth for christ before okay great for those of you who haven't uh, youth for christ was founded in 1946 uh, by a preacher a guy you may have heard of called billy graham he had a passion for young people. He had a passion for people to, to come to know the real Jesus. He set up Youth for Christ in 1946. It's changed a lot throughout that time, but I've worked for that organization for the last three years. Uh, my background is performing arts, so I love singing, acting, dancing. That's kind of my heart, my passion. And so for the last three years, I've run a street dance crew called Stance. I get all my moves from my dad. And, um, and so what happened is for the last three years, I've toured right across the UK telling young people about Jesus and using dance as kind of a gateway and a tool to uh, communicate the gospel. We've seen about 60 to 70,000 young people in that time. And it's been utterly incredible to see Jesus work in young people throughout those three years of my life. Uh, this past summer has been wonderful for me. I got engaged, so my dad's going to be out of pocket for the next year, but we're getting married next October. Really excited. Me and Nath uh, are going to be not living too far from here in Starbridge. He's black country born and bred and wants to stay that way. So uh, we're going to be based around here, but uh, over the summer months, I was kind of really praying into seeing the next season of my life, and uh, what, what came up was an opportunity um, to be a national evangelist for Youth for Christ. So doing something really similar to what I've been doing for the last three years, but may, kind of being mainly focused on the speaking and communication aspect of things. And uh, so this role came up and I thought, wow, what, a, what an opportunity. So I went for the role and I got it. And uh, I've started that job this week. Uh, but I've been really challenged because my main, uh, my main job will be speaking kind of on platforms similar to this, but mostly to young people throughout the UK and large festivals like, you know, your New Wines, your Creation Fest, Soul Survivor, things like that, which is really exciting for me, really exciting. But actually, what has been a real challenge for me is actually what does my life look like in the everyday? What does my life look like off of the stage? Because, Jesus, I want stories uh, of me communicating your word with people on a daily basis. 
not just in the crowds, you know. And so um, anyway, I was really kind of grappling with that uh, over the last kind of couple of months. How do I live this out in my day-to-day life? Because I tell you what, it's so much easier for me, anyway, personally, to stand in front of people and say, I love Jesus. Uh, this is my story. This is, this is uh, what he's done in my life. It's actually harder for me to speak to my best friend, Lottie, who's dealing with depression and a fatherless home about Jesus. It's actually far more difficult for me. I don't know if anyone can resonate with that. You know, it's easy in some settings, isn't it? Easier than others. And so I've just been really kind of grappling with that. And then uh, over the last kind of couple of weeks, I just got back from Greece. I went on holiday uh, before I started my new job. And uh, anyway, me and um, Nathan were on the beach. That's my fiance's name. Me and Nathan were on the, the beach. And we were just kind of uh, having a chat. And as usual, he was speaking pretty loudly with his broad accent. And uh, this couple in front of us turned around and said, uh, sorry, do you mind me asking where you're from? And I thought, oh, my word. <laughs> and uh, Nathan obviously pipes up, yeah, yeah, I'm from the, you know, I'm from the black country. We, I live in Cradley Heath. And, and she says, no way, I used to teach at Windsor High School. That was his high school. You should have seen the look on his face. Oh, my word, he was no saint in school. So he's trying to, like, recognize. So when did you leave? When did you, when were you there? When were you there? Uh, anyway, it kind of turns out that she missed him by a year. Thank goodness. But anyway, uh, throughout the week, we kind of um, got to know uh, this couple, Laura and Paul. And um, obviously, Laura says to Nathan, you know, Nathan, what do you do? And vice versa. And Nathan says, you know, I'm a plumber for, for, for HomeServe, the insurance company. And then she comes to me, what do you do? Oh, well, um, I, I, uh, I'm a... You know, I was trying to kind of dress it up. You know, I'm a communicator. Uh, I talk to young people, and I felt really challenged to to say what I did, like fully, and embrace that. But there was a little bit of fear within me because I thought, what do I actually want to do? So I just said, I tell people about Jesus. You should have seen the look on her face. She said, Jesus. I said, yeah, I'm a Christian. Uh, we're we're both Christians. We've both got a strong faith. Both go to our local church. She went, oh, church ain't for me. She said, my mum uh, is a Christian. She says, but she says one thing and lives another. It's just not for me. <laughs> I'm just going to stay away from that conversation. Anyway, Nath and me were really prompted to pray for her. And so we prayed for her at the, uh, at the kind of beginning of our holiday. And, um, and we just prayed, God, if she has any questions, please allow her to feel like she can ask. We're not going to say a thing. We felt really challenged not to say a thing. Uh, not to push any, not to push anything. Just, just if she has questions. Anyway, the next day she says, "So Christian," <laughs> she says, "So what kind of Christian are you? Are you a Catholic, Church of England? You know?" Okay, so I kind of, I kind of answered her question loosely, and then she said, "Okay, and um, what, what, what do you think about um, homosexuality?" <laughs> so anyway, we kind of had a conversation about that, and then she said, "Okay, what do you think about suffering?" What about these refugees? Where's God in this? So these questions were pretty, they were pretty coming head on. This was the night after I prayed. I thought, maybe I shouldn't have prayed. But anyway, we kind of carried on this conversation. And and throughout the week, she started to really, really kind of grapple with some of these questions. We were on the beach most days. And she was kind of really challenging me, really talking to me about, about what she kind of wanted to know. And she said to me about halfway through the week, she said, Grace, you've answered more questions in these last couple of days than anyone ever has. She said, you've never made me feel stupid or judged once, even once, about asking you these questions. 
but you have Jesus, you're really doing something. She might not know it yet, but it's really you. <laughs> anyway, we kind of carry on this conversation. And at the end of the week, she says, I just can't get over the suffering, Grace. I can't get over that thing. I just like, oh, I know we've grappled with some questions this week, but I just can't get over that in my head. I just don't understand it. I said, me neither. I said, me neither. She said, I know you can give me some, some fancy answer, but I just, I, it just doesn't settle with me. And I said, you know what? Excuse me if I get a bit emotional now, but this is raw for me. I said, you know what? Neither do I. I don't get it sometimes. I don't get why these things happen. I don't understand it. But you know what? It's okay that I don't. It's okay not to have all the answers. And some of us will never have those answers fully fully answered until we see Jesus. And sometimes I think then some of those answers won't even make that much of a difference. But sometimes that's hard, isn't it? We grapple with these things. Anyway, I really felt led to kind of to open up my heart to her a bit because about two months ago, one of my best friend's mums passed away from cancer. Six weeks she had. She left four precious kids, really precious. She had a loving husband. She was about 50 years old. And she passed away. Two days afterwards, I had to speak at a large event called Soul Survivor about Jesus. I was, I was really struggling because I came back from seeing Abby, her name is. I came back from her house to Soul Survivor and was standing amongst all these thousands of Christians praising him. And I just didn't understand it. I didn't get it. So I started opening up to Laura about what I was feeling. And I said, you know what helped me? I said, it was no theological answer. It was reading this book by a good friend of my dad's, actually, Malcolm Duncan, who heads up something called Spring Harvest now. He wrote a book, and he was going through a real difficult time of grief and angst. And his father had passed away, really suddenly similar circumstances. Anyway, a friend of mine gave me this book to read after Vicky passed away to try and make some sense of it. And I'm just going to read it as I read to Laura on the beach, uh, kind of this time last week, actually, in Greece. He said this. It was a struggle that would continue for months. He's talking about his own experience. It was a struggle that would continue for months and months and months. Eventually, I discovered a way through. This is the key. I realized that I didn't have to understand God to trust him. That helped me. It hasn't taken away my questions, and it hasn't answered all my struggles. I just have realized that I can be honest about my questions. I don't have all the answers, and I don't care whether people think that makes me a good Christian or a bad one. I'd rather be honest than false. I'm not going to pretend I understand God when I don't. I don't need to be perfect. I need to be authentic. It's only as I struggle that I grow. I struggle with my faith, and that's okay. Why does faith sometimes not make sense? Don't misunderstand me. I can give you a theological answer. I can talk about the impact of sin and the power of choice and the ultimate promise that God will put all things right. I can explain that evil is prevalent in the world and that we all have a natural urge to selfishness and greed. I can answer the question with the same vigor as many others. I believe all those answers are true with all of my heart, but I still struggle with God sometimes. And as I, as I turn to her, as I turned to Laura after reading that, with tears streaming down her face, she said, it makes sense to me now. I know that I can access God and I don't need all the answers. She said, uh, her, her, her and her husband, her husband works for Cadbury's, so win for me because I'll get some free chocolate. Um, 
he, they both live in Zurich at the moment in Sweden, but they're moving back next March to this area, to Solihull. They're going to be by the house. And um, as tears streaming down her face, she said, it all makes sense. She said, Grace, for years of my life, I've known that I'm missing something. She said, and I don't believe it's an accident that I've met you this week. She said, I've always known that there's something more. Can I come to church with you when I get home? And I thought, actually, yeah, come on. <laughs> and so actually for me, it was, a, it was a real affirmation of me going into this new season, this new job, because that's what I want. I want the stories to work out in my daily life. I want to be able to talk to someone on a beach in Greece about the love of Jesus and it be transforming. I want her, as tears stream down her face, and she says, I don't know why I'm crying for me to think, I do, it's the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus. He still is in the habit of transforming and changing lives. I'm still in a conversation with her after she's gone back from, uh, from holiday, back to her home in Zurich, and we're still having communication over Facebook. She's still asking me those questions, and she can't wait to start church with me. So I, I really hope that that's just been a bit of encouragement this morning for you guys, and obviously and obviously, this, this hopefully as well. I just really felt as we were praying in the back before we came out that maybe someone in here has just, has just got some questions that are holding you back just got some questions about your faith that are stopping you from maybe making that next step. Maybe even saying yes to Jesus, I don't know. I don't know what your life looks like. And when Jesus invites us to make a relationship with him, he doesn't say, come along and, you know, it's, it's going to be all good. It's happily ever after. He doesn't say that. But he does say, I'll give you a hope and an assurance and I'll never, ever leave you. And so for some of you um, in here, maybe just one person, I just really felt like if, if don't allow the questions to hold you back from saying yes to Jesus and taking that next step, because it's okay if we have questions. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks. One of my favorite stories is of a, a, an elderly a charity worker who for all of her life had worked in a major global charity based in Scotland. And um, she's coming up to her 70th year, still working full-time, but has decided it's time to go part-time. And uh, the charity asks if they can, uh, as a kind of way of honouring her, they say, listen, would you be willing to go to Chicago and uh, attend a World Congress on our homelessness charity? And she says, well, I've never flown before. She says, I've never been out of Great Britain. She says, I'm terrified of flying. And so she went home. She said, give me 24 hours. And when she came back the next day, she said, okay, I'll go. So she gets on the plane and uh, flies out, gets off at Chicago Airport, gets in the yellow cab, drives to the, uh, the hotel, and uh, gets in the, the reception. And she thinks, wow, I've arrived haven't been mugged. None of these wicked Chicagoans have attacked me. Uh, she says, I've arrived safely. She goes up in her elev the elevator to the, the room on the ninth floor. She goes into her bedroom, showers, and then decides she'll go and take a meal. So she goes down into um, the, the, the re uh, to the restaurant, and then when she gets into the restaurant, she has a panic attack. She says, oh my goodness, I've left my purse and uh, wallet and my uh, passport and all my valuables in the hotel room. Someone might break in and get it. So she rushes back up in the elevator, opens the door. Everything's safe. 
She gets it and then goes back to the elevator. The doors open on the ninth floor and inside are three big men. Now, some of you women might have had this experience. She think they looked a bit, you know, dodgy and she thought, should I or, or shall I or shan't I? So anyway, she steps inside. The, the doors close in front of her and then behind her, a voice says, hit the floor, lady. So she goes down on her hands and knees and gives them the handbag and says, please don't hurt me, please don't hurt me, take everything. And then she hears some laughter behind her and two strong arms pick her up and they say, no, hit the floor, lady. So she feels really embarrassed and she says, oh, I am sorry, I misunderstood. You know, I'm from Scotland. Uh, uh, and anyway, she goes to the restaurant, has a wonderful meal and then she says, could I pay the, the bill? And th they said, there's nothing to pay. She says, excuse me, th there's nothing to pay. She says, a, a gentleman followed you in and said, whatever that lady eats tonight, put it on my bill. So anyway, she stays for 10 days in this lovely hotel. She finds out she loves America. She loves Chicago. Everyone's so kind. On the last day, she goes to the foyer to go home. And... Uh, uh, she says, I'd just like to settle up. I've been in room 914. Thank you for looking after me. And they, they plug it in. They said, there's nothing to pay. So, excuse me, there's nothing to pay. No, no, but there's a card for you. And so she opens the card and inside it says, thank you for the biggest laugh I've had in years, Eddie Murphy. <laughs> wow. So the moral of that story is if ever you get into a, uh, you know, an elevator with Eddie Murphy, you know, do something. But anyway, true story. But I love that story because it's a kind of a case of mistaken identity. It's someone, I believe, who was looking at, at something and thinking this was going to be possibly difficult or hostile to me, but actually turned out to be a blessing. You know, I believe that many people look at Jesus and they're threatened by him, or they're not impressed by him. And the reason is, is because we haven't made him known. Because they haven't seen him. It's a story told of a little orphan boy who was adopted in about the 17th century by a, uh, a very wealthy Italian religious couple. They took this little boy in there and had no children and they were very, very religious and very, very strict. True story. And in pride of place in, the, in one of the main rooms, there was a big religious icon of the boy Jesus with a little lamb at his foot. It was, you know, the obligatory religious icon with gold gilt frame and a big halo around the, the little uh, Jesus. And uh, it, he, Jesus looks s a, a sort of austere, uh, a little kind of sad and uh, lamenting and that kind of view of Jesus. And one day the story is that when the parents were out, the little boy got his paintbrush and paint set, and he began to refashion Jesus. The halo became a, a straw hat. The little lamb at his feet became a kind of a, a, a playful dog. Uh, the, the, the frown became a smile, and he changed the picture. And that resonates with me because I'm trying to do exactly the same. 
I'm trying to take the Jesus, the image of Jesus that people have, and I want to refashion in into the real Jesus, don't you? In fact, that's what the church is meant to do. You know, I really hope, I really hope that your boss is glad you work for the company. I really hope your neighbors are thrilled that you live next door. I hope you're not one of those miserable Christians. Have you ever met one? You know, they've been baptized in vinegar. Have you met them? You know, they're very disapproving. They make you feel bad. You know, you leap into a doorway when you see them coming. I hope you're not like that. I hope you're a good news Christian. I hope you bring something of the joy and the love of God wherever you go. You're not judgmental, but you're someone. I remember in my church in Birmingham, one of our, uh, one day we had a big altar call. A lot of people came forward. One of the guys, call him John, he came forward to me. He says, Pastor, please pray for me. He says, I'm getting persecuted at work. I said, John, can I be real with you? I said, John, if you worked for me, I would persecute you. I said, John, you have a problem. You're a misery. I said, every time you come to me, you've usually got a complaint. That's the first thing you do. He said, well, John, I, I have to I bring some correction now and again. No, I said, you're just miserable, John. And, and I said, let me tell you what to do. This is a word from the Lord. Well, it's from Nigel, really. But uh, uh, I said, uh, uh, listen, uh, uh, when you go to work in the morning, go with a smile on your face. If you go and get a coffee from the coffee machine, get one for your neighbor as well. Uh, if you see one of your colleagues stressed out with a piece of work, offer to help them. Uh, uh, say you'll stay a bit late to get the job finished. And, and, and he said, uh, he said, you're being real, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. I said, will you do that, John? He said, I will. So he said, would you pray for me? So I said, no, I don't want to pray for you. I just want you to go and do what I've told you to do. How many of you know sometimes we're praying for things where we should just get on? Is that true? We should just do it. And um, a month later, John came to me and says, Pastor, you know, God's changed the workplace. No one's persecuting me anymore. Oh, it isn't God good, you know. Well, I, you know, sometimes we just listen. I want us to look at Jesus for a few moments. Can we? Let's in Isaiah chapter six. In Isaiah chapter six, I want us to look at Jesus. You say, Nigel, why are we going to Isaiah chapter six to look at Jesus? Well, I think we we find, don't we? In uh, in Isaiah chapter six, we we see Jesus, because in John chapter twelve, in John chapter twelve. Uh, we don't, don't go there, but it says, Isaiah saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. So Isaiah saw Jesus' glory, uh, John chapter 12, and spoke about him. So I believe in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, Isaiah had a vision of the exalted Jesus. Okay, and I'm going to say four things. I know we're, we're, we're going to say this really quickly because how many times, you don't need a long sermon all the time, do you? We just need to do and hear what God is saying. So there's four things about Jesus. Firstly, Jesus is a holy king. Isaiah chapter 6, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the angel said, holy, holy, holy. Now, holy, let me tell you, holy is not just about what you don't do. Did you know that? I, I grew up in a church where holiness was uh, we don't do this and we don't smoke and we don't drink and we don't do this and we don't go places. And I think what holiness is what you do do. 
If you want to be really holy, I, I don't, I've given up my membership of the church where we're against everything. I don't want a list of 25 things that we're against. I want a list of 50 things that we're for. We're for loving people. We're for helping people. We're for standing with people. We're for being generous. We're for being kind. You know, when, you're, when you uh, have seen Jesus as a holy king, it stops you thinking you're better than you are and better than others. I love Isaiah chapter 5. In Isaiah chapter 5, there's a five-point sermon. We won't go there, but you can look at it later. We all know Isaiah chapter 6. Well, I haven't read it, but we haven't read. We don't know Isaiah chapter 5. In Isaiah chapter 5, uh, Isaiah teaches a five-point sermon, and he says this. The first word is, woe unto you. The second point says, woe unto you. The third point says, woe unto you. The fourth point, if you look at it, it says, woe unto you. Have you ever sat through sermons like that? I had a lot of sermons like that when I was a boy. The fifth point, just so as you didn't remember, you don't forget it, it says, woe unto you. Five things. It says, woe unto you. But do you know what Isaiah said when he saw Jesus the king? As a holy king, he says, woe unto me. I remember one of my membership classes of my church, we had a, a woman join our church and uh, uh, wanting to join the church. She said, uh, she, I said, well, what do you think your gift is? She said, oh, I have a special gift. She said, I'm able to tell what's wrong with people. I'm, I'm legit. You should have laughed then. She said, I, I have a suit. I don't have to be with person two minutes. I know exactly what their problems are. She says, where do I join the church? I says, oh, you don't. We don't have people like you in our church. I'm not interested in having someone that wants to tell everyone else what's wrong with them. Uh, you know, Isaiah was one of the holiest men in the Bible. Do you know what he says? Woe is me. And if you see Jesus as a holy king, you see your faults in your own life. Amen? And it helps me, it helps me to keep uh, close to Jesus. I love that. You know, he's a holy king. You know, our holiness should work itself out in good works. I haven't got a story about laying on a Greece, gr Greek island and you know, on a nice beach, but I was in Newcastle in, in, in Waitrose. Not Waitrose. What's the, other, what's the other one? One of the other. Morrison's. Morrison's. And I'd gone there at 7.30 in the morning to get a sandwich and a bottle of water for the trip home that late that night because I was teaching at a, a pastor's conference. And as I stood there, 7.30 in the morning, there in front of me was a, a, a woman with her son who had got Down syndrome. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me at 7.30 in the morning, ask that woman and her son to have breakfast with you. I thought, Lord, I cannot do that. I said, if I ask that woman to have breakfast with me at 7.30 in the morning in Morrison's, she's going to call security. She's going to say, we've got a weirdo in town. So I say, well, no, I'll talk, I'll talk to the son. So I, so I turned around to the son and said, hello, what's your name? He said, Michael. I said, hi, Michael, what's, what music do you like? He said, Elvis Presley. And he started singing Blue Suede Shoes. So I joined in with him. And then I said to his mom, I said, look, I'm on business in town. I said, uh, I'm going to have some tea and toast. Would you and Stephen like to join me? She said, yes. So we went to the table, and as I was pouring her tea, I said to her, her name was Mary, I said, Mary, it must be a tremendous challenge looking after uh, your, your son. 
She said, oh, I love him. She said, he's 44 years old. There's not been one day of his life when I've not been with him. She said, he's my life, but I worry about what will happen when I go on. And she just poured out her heart to me. Then as I was passing her toast, I said to her, does your husband help you? She said, oh, well, he left me soon after Stephen was born. I said, man, Mary, I have to tell you, you are my hero. I said, my wife and I, we've brought up three children, and I think you are incredible. Thank you for being such a great example of what it means to be a mother and caring. And we, we talked a little bit. And, but this is what really broke me up, Kev. After about 25 minutes, and I think about seven pounds for the breakfast, you know, he wanted two chocolate eclairs for breakfast. You know, he was probably high as a kite all day, all day. But uh, anyway, this is what broke me up. Mary said to me, Nigel, Thank you for talking to me. She said, sometimes I can go two or three days and I have no one to talk to except my son. And I think, God, why can't the church just be kind? You don't have to go on a course. You don't have to learn. You just need to be Walk through Morrison's a little slower. You just need to be talked to a neighbor. You know, I can make a lemon drizzle cake you would die for. Uh, it's one of my, I always make the Christmas cakes in our house. You know, I make four. So I make one for each of our family and I ice them and dress them and done that for years, long before the bake-off, you know. But, but, but why would you want to make one lemon drizzle cake? Why don't you make two or three? And then all you do is you put it in a white box, you tie a ribbon around it, and you knock on the door, three doors down, and you say, Hi, it's cake time. Just made a cake, like to give you a gift. And then you do that two or three times, and you, you, you're, just, you're, just, you're just kind. You see, the Bible says one of my life verses is God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, and he went around doing good. You say, Nigel, I can't cook. You know, I, I, I'm sorry, but I've got, I've got a car. You have a car? Do you mean to say you could say to a single parent with two little boys, look, on Saturday we're going to feed the ducks and we're going to have a picnic and we'd be honored if you'd be with us. Now, if you've got a posh car and you don't like Maltesers down the back seat, th then buy a cheaper one. <laughs> or you say, well, Pastor, I haven't got a car, I've got a mobile. You have a mobile? You mean to say you could covenant before God that, Lord, every day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to text somebody or call somebody just to encourage them. A mum with two little children that's on her own all day. I, I'm going to just text her and, and just say, thinking of you. Do you know, I've learned this about my Christian life. The little things matter. Amen. And, and what I, the, the, the passion of my heart for you today, will you do something little for Jesus this week? Just little. Just little. Will you be ready for that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit just to prompt you to say, text a friend, invite someone for supper, go out for a drink with a mate, uh, uh, buy a bouquet of flowers and present it to someone.
Give someone your space in the supermarket aisle. But just go about doing good. You see, what would it be? I don't know, 200 people who who say, Lord, this week and every day, we're going to be the loose change in we just want to be the loose change in your pocket. You can spend us whenever, wherever, however you want. Could that be good? You see, the, the, the ministry of this church is not about what when we gather. That's one small aspect of it. The real ministry of our church is not Monday morning at 11, Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. It's Monday morning at 11 o'clock where we are scattered out. And there we try and live out the, the, the life of Jesus. And this is the message that we have. We have a holy king. His name is Jesus and he wants to forgive you. Whatever you've done, he wants to forgive you because he loves you. We have an almighty king. He was the king, high and exalted, almighty. Jesus said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. able to intervene and change things. Amen. You believe that because he's an almighty, an almighty king. He's a forgiving king. You know that story. He took hot coals from off the altar. He placed it on the prophet's mouth. Can you see? Now you're clean. You know, it's a fantastic thing to know you're clean, isn't it? I remember I was coming out of a uh, Euston Station. I had to get up to Scotland for the next day, and it was more convenient to come come on the train. Have, have you ever had that experience where you? I was rushing to the train. I'd been at a three-day conference in London, and I I just set up an arrow prayer. Lord, could you arrange for me just to have a private seat where where I could just all I wanted to do. To be honest, I bought a paper. I love to read the newspapers because you know Christians are not called to be divorced from the world. We are not called to be divorced from the world. We're called to know about the world and pray for the world. So I was going to read my paper. I was going to get a coffee and a donut. And I just wanted two hours just to chill. Do you ever want that? And I got in the train. I think it was going to get off in two minutes. And I went in and there was no, there was just four seats on their own. I thought, hallelujah, thank you. You're a prayer answering God. And the tra- I just opened my paper I just thought, I'll give it five minutes. I'll go and get my coffee, and I'm just in peace here. And then a, a, a guy pushed in, an angry man, said, I've just blankety-blank made this train. And he said, I've had a blankety-blank awful day. And, and he just was angry, and I thought, I'm just moving. And then I felt the Lord say, Nigel, I've got an assignment for you. And I, I said to this man, would you like a coffee? So he said, uh, yeah, I blankety-blank would. You know, he, he was in a bad way. So I, I, I went and got him a coffee, and I sat down. Do any of you like Columbo? Well, I, I, did my, I have a little Columbo routine, you know, because uh, I, I could tell. So I hadn't listened to him for about 10 minutes when, when he said, I knew he was married to Devil Woman. <laughs> I, I knew the banks wouldn't loan him any more money. And I knew he'd just gone for an interview for a job and he hadn't got it. So he was not a happy bunny. Do you know what I mean? 
And uh, I, I said to him, I did my Colombo routine. I said, uh, do you mind if I ask you a few questions? <laughs> I said, uh, b- before your wife turned into devil woman, I said, uh, did you treat her right? I mean, were you tender and affectionate? And uh, he said, I had a few liaisons. Ah, I see. You played away from home and she kicked you out. Ah, I got you. And I said, listen, um, I said, you said the banks wouldn't loan you any money. I I said, may I ask you, did you ever let your spending get out of control? I mean, did you ever borrow off one piece of plastic to pay off another card and then you bought another card to pay off some more cards? He said, you got me. And then I said, listen, I said, uh, I said, I work for a, a multinational company. I said, we've got outlets all over the world. I said, we've even got places out of this world. That confused him a little bit. But I, I said, if you came for me for a job and I asked to have a reference from your last employer, uh, I said, uh, uh, he said, oh, you couldn't go to my last employer. I mean, I had to tell him where to go. I think he meant eternally, you know, that. I just said, well, you know what? Um, I said, I've got some great news for you. I said, I, I, I cannot change your past, but I, I, I know how you can change your future. Would you like me to tell you? Yeah. I said, well, let me get you another coffee, and then I'll tell you. So I went and got more coffee. We sat down. Before we'd got to York, I'd led him to Christ. <laughs> led him to Christ, introduced him to the Savior, told him about a Savior that loved him and was a forgiving you know, this king is a, a, an almighty king. He's a holy king. He's a forgiving king. And you know what? He's a sending king. He said, I send you. And God wants to send you into Morrison's. He wants to send you into your company. He wants to send you to your school gates. He sent you into your street. And he sent you there in order that you might communicate his love and his grace and his kindness and his compassion wherever you go. What a commission, hey? Amen. Let's just stand together. We're going to pray. You know, we're going to ask Rose or whoever, Kev, just to. But Holy Spirit, we just thank you for encouraging us this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have called every one of us to so be filled with the life of Jesus that wherever we go, we can make a difference. Church, I just want to ask you this morning, would you just quietly pray in your heart, Lord, help me to do something small for you this week. Lord, it might be a small thing like a phone call. It might be a small thing like leaving a post-it note on a colleague's desk. It might be a small thing like giving a bouquet of flowers. It might be a small thing like just talking to someone, a stranger who we've never met and saying, God loves you. It might be a small thing. It might be a small thing like saying, would you like to get involved in the Paddington Project? We're helping refugees in our church and we're having harvest in two or three weeks and it'd be wonderful if you and your children could come. It might be a small thing. But Lord Jesus, I thank you that all those hundreds of small things are going to make an eternal difference. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a clap offering. Can we do that?